Nothing important, man. Reyes. I'm back. Sunday. It's Sunday. Um, <laughs> I believe. I'm going to start off with beliefs, ladies and gentlemen. Get fucking ready. Today's going to be an episode. I believe the greatest marker for greatness. Is that redundant? Possibly. I believe the greatest marker for greatness is time. Not talking about longevity. This is not going to be a fucking episode where I talk about LeBron for an hour and a half, but he's back today, ladies and gentlemen. I'm very excited. What I was trying to talk about in particular is time. Time passing. This thing that we, it's like a tool of measurement for us to perceive reality in a more organized way. Does it really exist? Debatable. Once again, that's not the point of this episode. I want to talk about greatness and I want to talk about the greatest marker for greatness and I want to acknowledge that that is a redundant statement. And I also want to say that my belief is the greatest marker for greatness is time. After something is expressed, whether that be art, whether that be um, leadership, whether it be an idea, it could be a person's life. Anything that society takes a microscope to analyze, to study, which is what we do as human beings. We like to reflect on people. We like to reflect on ways of life, ideas, methodologies, uh, philosophies, religions. And we like to throw that word around and say, this is great, or that is great, or this is great. And that all changes. Everything changes. We understand this. Change is the constant. But I think the greatest identifier, the greatest marker, the greatest way to really see if something is great or not is time. Time passes. Is it still as potent when you experience it 10 years later, whatever you call great in the moment? Is it still as potent 20 years later, 30 years later? You know what I'm saying? That's how I look at it, ladies and gentlemen. That's my opinion. That is my opinion. I was just listening to a whole bunch of music and I remember that concept was put in my brain. I probably had had the thought in some form but the complexity of the, the, that idea of time being the greatest marker, the greatest indicator for greatness was put into my brain. I was watching an interview with an artist named Kendrick Lamar, and he was talking about um, actually answering the question from the interview. The interviewer was saying, it's kind of like an immediate consensus. This doesn't always happen. When an artist gets on the scene and when they pop off, everybody says the word genius. Everybody says genius, undeniable genius. You know what I'm saying? That very rarely fucking happens in the moment. It happens, ladies and gentlemen. But Kendrick, that, that was a situation. He came out with some albums. And I think he was at the point of just having completed um, To Pimp a Butterfly. I believe so. And he was getting interviewed. And the way that he answered that, he said, yeah, we'll, we'll see. He's like, right now, it is what it is. But 10 years down the line, what are they going to think? And that was his mindset. And I agree with that. Even though I was one of the people on the side of when these albums came out, he comes out with Good Kid, Mad City. He comes out with Section 80. Section 80 was before that. Comes out with um, To Pimp a Butterfly. He comes out with these albums. I was on the side of, oh, this dude is a genius. Immediate in my brain. Regardless if I agreed with what he was saying or not. Just from a standpoint of analyzing art analyzing uh, individuality, musicality, 
just something that is just not been before, you know, adding that onto the tree that is music, right? So when he comes out with this, this, these things, I ingest that content and I say immediately, my, my genius, but then I even consider what he, from the standpoint he was, it's time. Time is the greatest marker because there's so many factors contributed in the moment for somebody to experience something and it to paint a picture in their mind or for them to develop a response to that. I was I was literally just talking yesterday to my sister at the end of the day. Yesterday was my daughter's birthday. We went to Chuck E. Cheese. Fucking fantastic. Chuck E. Cheese, terrible nowadays. Chuck E. wasn't there. I don't know what happened to Chuck E. They had Chuck E. on a big screen TV. It was, fu- it was a ripoff. Beside that, I'm in the car driving my sister home, end of the day. And I was talking to her about creating a delay between experiencing something and your reaction. And the way that I started this conversation, I'll try to probably rehash it to make the point, the broader point that I'm trying to make here. I was explaining to her that I, in my past, and maybe it's a cultural thing, it's a learned behavior, it's something that's normal in my community. When I hear the word therapy or I think about a therapist, it's something I'm like, ah, get that away from me. It doesn't make sense in my brain. And I still am not in the place where I would even go out and seek physical therapy. But from educating myself on what the overall idealistic concept of therapy is, I understand a great part of that is somebody who is trained and experienced in helping people understand their individual triggers so that they can release those things. And I was saying to my sister, that's kind of what... I agree with and why I, you know, shifted my perception of what therapy is. Maybe it may not be for me, but I'm, I'm less judgmental of what that is. In the past, I had a very conspiratorial view of it. I'm like, I'm not going to give my power up to let somebody else help me think for myself. And it was a very like walled off uh, perception. It was no trust It was seeing the world with only devils and demons and people that take advantage of you. And as I've grown and learned to strengthen my own mind, I understand there's certain things that even if it's not what's going on, the idea behind it is pure to help somebody identify their own individual triggers. I'll put another anecdotal to kind of tie down that idea. I was watching this incredible mini docuseries. And it was a docuseries about people who were in the Middle East in the early 2000s when we went over there to do whatever the fuck we were doing under um, George Bush, his presidency. And it was a documentary that was panning back and forth. So it was footage from 2003 and they cut it and synchronized it. So it would be like an interview of a kid in 2003 while he's at war and what he's experiencing real time. And then they would pan back to 2023, interviewing him modern day and his reflection on who that kid was and what was actually going on. And it was a beautiful fucking documentary. If you could find it on YouTube, I can't remember the name. I might motherfucking put it in the uh, in the bio so that you guys can look in it, uh, look at it because it, it was really beautiful and it was insightful for me. And I'll tell you what I took from it. It was there was a guy's black man. He's like a nerdy guy, big guy. He joined the military. He was in um, the Middle East in 2003 doing whatever the fuck was going on over there. I'm not getting political. And he was talking about when he first got there, his perception. And he was basically trying to express the 
difficulty that he deals with on a daily basis trying to digest his guilt, his shame, and his regret for the actions that he committed, the things that he brought into people's lives because of the intel that he received or the bubble that of in intelligence or understanding that he was operating under, which was narrow. And he spoke about an experience where he's over there um, in Afghanistan and he is going and seeing all the locals and the locals are giving him this hand sign. And he's in army fatigues and he has a big military rifle and he's walking through these, you know, very poor villages in the Middle East. And they're giving him this hand sign that basically the way that it looks is like, you know, when Italian guys like food and they take their thumb, their index finger and the middle finger and they put them all together and they, they, they shake their hand in the air. It looks like that. That's what he was doing. Basically, he's like, ah, ah. and so he sees all them doing that. And he's like, oh, yeah, fuck me. Fuck you. And he's doing it back to them. And he says for four months, for four months, he's walking around in the Middle East doing whatever he's doing, kicking people's doors down, uh, arresting people, uh, doing whatever they have to do for that job. It's a tough job. No judgment on the individual. But he's walking around with this energy of like anytime do somebody does that to him, he's taking that on his psyche and he's making the same hand sign back. Fuck me. Fuck you. And he runs into his interpreter the fourth month. And uh, the interpreter was just trying to explain something that was unrelated to him. And he wasn't understanding. It's like a gap in language. The interpreter's job, obviously, is to bridge that gap between him speaking English and whatever language that he has to try to understand. It's a difficult job. And in the midst of the interpreter trying to explain it to the soldier, he does the hand sign. He says, have patience. So for that full four-month period while he's in the Middle East... In the army, brutalizing people, he's taking this energy that they're giving at him as fuck me, fuck you. And what they're really saying to him is have patience. And that to me illuminated the importance of understanding triggers. Sometimes people walk around with their past in their present. They walk around with something that happened to them that hurt them in the past and they wear that as like a lens, as like glasses. And they only see the reality that's in front of them through that lens. So somebody could be trying to help. Somebody could be trying to inform. Somebody could be trying to, you know, bridge a gap between where that person is presently and the thing that they're, that's getting lost in translation. And because he's looking from the scope of this bubble that's created or you know, the parallel that I'm creating is like people would look in their past, a trauma, they get triggered and they don't even understand that, you know, like in this situation, those people were not telling him, fuck you. He, that, that was inside of him. He was like, oh, I'm in a foreign land. I'm in the military. These people are my enemies. I was told they're my enemies. I have to come over here and be brutal and protect myself. And that means hurting them. And they, on top of that, me being here and I'm out here doing this shit and risking my life, they're saying, fuck you, everywhere I go. He's internalizing that and that's not what they're saying. They're saying, have patience. That's fucking beautiful to me, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know what you think about that, but I thought it was motherfucking beautiful. No, I'm not going to motherfucking therapy. And I got a little tangent off of the original point. I was talking about time being an indicator, being the greatest marker for greatness. You know, I still believe that. Um, that was a great lesson. And it took that motherfucker really, 
<laughs> probably 20 years to digest fully and for it to hit the public. That was the, the maturation period for that seed of miscommunication turning into a wonderful tree of knowledge that through the medium of this documentary, he could spread that lesson and it could come to individuals like myself and whoever else watched that documentary, they can interpret it as the beautiful understanding that it is. That we all have triggers. We all have issues. We all have gaps in communication with one another. And it would do us best to take a moment to pause before we assign an understanding to something that may cause an emotional arousal within. Like this guy, he's, 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 he's 20 years later, he's in his house and he has this camera crew in his house and he's trying to express to people who no, none of us are going to be able to feel what he's feeling. The nuance of it, the complexity of it. He's not a bad man, but he probably fights with himself on a daily basis because of the things that he's done. Because he didn't know. He didn't know. And now as an older man, he's reflecting and understanding this one incident, which is it's a beautiful metaphor for a lot of things that happen in life. He was just misinterpreting. He was taking evil where there was good and there was kindness. That's beautiful, man. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Isn't that incredible? Um, too heavy? Too bad. Too heavy, too bad. You know what I'm saying? Oh, my daughter's screaming now. You see how that works? You see how that works, ladies and gentlemen? Oh, my God. Beautiful screensaver. I'm seeing. Let's see what this is. Um, early construction of a castle began in 914, and its upper levels are still used as a royal residence. I don't know what castle this is. I'm not going to click the computer on. I'm just going to look at this beautiful photograph of old architecture. I'm really big into architecture. I love, I love, I like it. I like it a lot. I, I watch Architectural Digest, um, not just like people's homes. That's cool. I like when, you know, people share their homes with the public, not in like a gaudy way. It's not like MTV Cribs. It's more, you know, if you are privileged enough, if you have the finance to support that artistic endeavor of really creating, co-creating your living space, it can be a work of art. And I love that form of art. I love architecture. I love insides of homes. I love the exteriors of homes. I watch it, um, the episodes of Architectural Digest when they, they not only do, um, you know, like celebrities sharing their home, but they go into certain neighborhoods like San Francisco and they go around the neighborhood and they talk about the history, the concepts and the revolutionary ideas and, you know, what is just like a melting pot of different architectural ideas. And that's what cities are. The greatest of which, New York, baby. I was just watching a recent episode of um, AD, Architectural Digest. And um, it was in New York and they were talking about the subway station. And this was like one of the most beautiful episodes I've ever seen. Because it's this guy who is sitting there, white backdrop. You know, he has a blazer on, casual t-shirt under, has a, a book in front of him and he's sketching to try to express as they pan in between him, you know, just one camera in front of him. He's talking, he has a sketch pad in front of him, trying to illustrate to the viewer at home, uh, you know, the expression, his interpretation, his historical take on the New York City subway systems. And then they would pan out to video or photographs of these various historic sites in the greatest city in the world 
and the greatest way to travel in the greatest city in the world, time tested, ladies and gentlemen. We just talked about it. Time, the greatest marker. Subway station in New York is still the most efficient. We win. Point of this, in this episode, he spent the majority of it, 99% of it, enlightening people on not only the process of inception, like so they'll, they'll reference the particular architect or the team that worked on a plan for maybe Grand Central Station or the expansion of Grand Central Station. He would go into the nuance of the design, the influence by which whatever architect pulled this amazing thing off, you know, they're building underground under the New York City streets and they make some beautiful terminals. Till so they'll, they'll pull, you know, the references out and let you know where these ideas came from, the history behind it, you know, timelines, how much it cost, all great fucking information, all very interesting to an individual like myself. Also, highlighting some of the artists, you know, Yoko Ono and her pieces, man, it fucking pays to fuck a beetle, baby. No, um, but some of her art that's in New York City subway stations and just all this stuff. And so 90% of the video was that. And it puts you in a trance when art is great. When something is great, we talk about time, you lose time. You lose time. It's, it's almost like you get into a time warp. It's almost like, you know, it feels like forever, but it's just a moment. It's just a moment that's passed, but it also feels like it was just a moment, but it was forever that you, you learned. So, you know, you understand what I'm talking about? Time warp. And that's what happened. I got into a trance. I'm listening to this guy. He has his notepad in front of him. He's drawing these pictures. He's panning back to the beautiful terminals that I've, I've been through. This is my childhood, but it's also like a new scope. It's a new, it's a revision. It's an edit to the things that I've experienced. It illuminates. And I was like, man, I used to walk through these subway stations and I had my eye on the guy in the corner jerking off. And I wasn't looking up at the beautiful art above me. I was trying to make sure this guy didn't fucking squeeze his mayonnaise on my pants. You understand what I'm saying? New York City, if you fucking know, you know. 90% of it was beauty. And at the end of it, he had to keep it real. <laughs> he had to keep it real. And I was, it, it was funny because it was such perfect timing. This happens in art as well. It's like you want to keep a, a cloak of mystery. You want to keep people in a place of not knowing. That creates surprise. It allows for a more grand reveal. And this video is doing all of that. But even more impressive is when you synchronize the creator's edits synchronized time-wise with the revelation of what should be coming next from the perspective of the view. So I'm sitting there and the whole 90% of the video, I'm like, this is amazing. And right toward the end, I slowly come out the trance and I'm like, wait, I mean, this is great, but he's, you know what I'm saying? This is one side of the picture. Like you're looking up, look down, look around you. This shit is fucking crazy. New York City subway stations are full of probably the most incredibly unique madness on the planet, it can double for an insane asylum. It is nuts. It is nuts. I've, I've tried to express it a million ways. You In the past, when I was growing up, I don't know if it's happening too much since the pandemic, but you would have billionaires, people who are worth billions of dollars, taking the most efficient form of transport in the same subway cart as a guy taking a shit in the corner. You understand this was this is what I grew up in. It's real. Now it's probably decayed. I don't know if the billions billionaires are there, but I guarantee there's still people taking shits in the corner. I guarantee you that's still fucking happening. And so at the end of the video, you know, as I was coming out of the fucking trance, he, you know, popped on the real light. And you saw what this, you know, they panned that camera down. And he was like, yep, take it with a grain of salt, ladies and gentlemen. This is what it actually is. <laughs> million dollars worth of, billion dollars worth of work. 
million dollar art pieces hanging all around you. And, you know, if you look eye level, you're going to see pure madness. And that's what I love about New York City. I think it's just a microcosmic expression of reality is that there is grand beauty all around us. And, you know, that is a wonderful thing to be a spectator of, to ingest that some of the, the higher forms of living to concentrate on that. But you also got to look eye level and see this shit is fucking batshit crazy. It's crazy. <sighs> um, yeah. Anybody want to go check that out? Architectural Digest? Incredible. The birds are distracting me right now. They're chirping so fucking loud. Let's talk about yesterday, man. It's my daughter's birthday. And uh, I am blessed beyond what I could express. You know? I didn't want a child. I make jokes about that. But that's the truth. I did not want to have the child that I have right now. And life is crazy like that. Sometimes you get placed what is immediately feels like a burden. And... If you just have some patience, and once again, you use the greatest measure of greatness, which is time, the greatest marker, if you implement a little bit of patience and wait and just exist through that that length of time, you know, things change. And now I look at it, I'm like, what would I have done if I never had her? I'd be lost. I'd be fucking lost, ladies and gentlemen. It's so incredible. It's so amazing. I'm still going to continue with my PSAs. Tuck your fucking dick in your pants. I, I was driving my sister. She said, is that your fucking billboard? And I had to say to her, this is the fucking Truman Show experience. It was a little kid drawing on the fucking walls. And it said, use, the little kid was drawing use protection. This is a very genius child who was a fucking maniac and said, I'm here. You made me. You made me. <laughs> and that's what my apartment looks like right now. My daughter just goes crazy with markers and crayons, but I love her. So it's like, Half of me is trying to tell her, no, don't do that. But the other half is like, yeah, you're so cute. And um, yeah, it's the truth. I'm going to continue my PSAs, ladies and gentlemen. Put a condom on. Keep your dick in your pants. It's not worth it. But life happens. And if it does happen, you know what I would say? The most magic you can get out of being a parent is when you don't plan it. Because that up and down is incredible. It's like you're, you're gifted with this thing that is initially perceived as a burden. And through the trials of trying to operate in that new altitude, you find not only a new love, but you find a new self. You find a new strength place that you can operate at. That's the best, I guess, you know, way I could explain it to somebody who's not experienced this is that it will drive you to the depths. I was just talking to my boy on the phone. I was like, yo. I'm just at a level where it's just completely enjoyable being a parent. Yes, it's annoying, but it's completely enjoyable being a parent for me now. My daughter just turned two yesterday. And for the first year, I literally lost my fucking mind. And I imagine every parent does. I imagine that happens to every parent because it is a complete forced metamorphosis. It is completely forced onto you. The baby's there. And you have to rethink all the things that were once autopilot in your life. I never calculated how many times I take a shit. I never knew until I had to be conscious that I take a lot of fucking shits. Because <laughs> now I'm, I'm cleaning a baby's ass and I'm like, man, there's a lot of fucking diapers. I was telling my boy, I was like, there's all these things that you don't even calculate in your life. How, how much food you consume, 
how much time you spend doing things, how much free time you actually have when you don't have a child, that when you have the child, you start recognizing, oh my God, I wasted all my time. Because now I don't have that time. I have to constantly check in and constantly do this. And anytime I'm doing another task, the second that task ends, back to baby. That's the reality. That's the reality when you have a child. And so that first year was madness. But through that madness, it's almost like training to get into a new altitude. And now I operate at like a higher altitude. And it's a beautiful thing because then that carries over into every other aspect of your life. You're not as easily annoyed. You're not, you have more patience. You have more consideration, more compassion, more love. Those things are fucking true, ladies and gentlemen. If you're doing it right, I'm not talking about bad parents. I'm not talking about my daddy. Um, yes, I throw subs to my father who does not communicate with me throughout my life on a podcast that I'm sure he's not listening to. Isn't that fucking crazy? Um, yeah. <laughs> no, it was beautiful, man. My daughter just turned two. And magically, the day before that, my sister uh, turned 26 and just beautiful. It's just beautiful. You know, love in the air. Go do what you got to do. I got ripped off by Chuck E. Cheese. Should have went to an indoor park. That's what we were like bouncing around. The ideas is two years old. We had bigger plans. Not everybody that was able to come fly down to Atlanta was able to come. So we shifted the plans. We're like, yo, let's just do something small. Got her a nice cake. Um... And, you know, we just went from there and we, we were bouncing between the ideas of doing like an indoor park. Should have fucking done that because like I said at the top of the fucking episode, the greatest indicator of greatness, the greatest marker for greatness is time. Ladies and gentlemen, when I was a child, we used to go to fucking Chuck E. Cheese from time and time again. And Chuck E. Cheese was incredible. It was a sprawling fucking factory floor with a whole bunch of toys and and games and machines and the Chuck E. Cheese that I went to was just like a fucking compact scam. It was horrible. It was fucking horrible. Half of the shit that I remember, all the little rides, merry-go-rounds that used to be in the Chuck E. Cheese growing up, they were all gone. And then there was no Chucky. Like it's not Chucky was on a fucking Zoom meeting for the fucking kids. They were like, Chucky's coming out in 10 minutes. Get ready. I fucking I, I scurried, grabbed my daughter. All the other parents, they scurry, grab their kids, and they go into this, like, it's a big lit up dance floor. And you go, and, and I took my daughter over there, and all the kids are wilding out. They, they're hyping them up on a big screen. In three, two, one. And then Chucky comes on the fucking screen. And it wasn't even Chucky. It was like Chucky's, like, Chucky lost weight. I don't know what the fuck was going on, man. Chucky used to be fat. He's on drugs now, and he's only appearing through Zoom meetings. Like, this shit is crazy. The shit was fucking crazy. It was a ripoff. It was a fucking ripoff. All the games that I wanted to play, especially, Jesus Christ, they had like that little mini basketball hoop. There was only one ball, two fucking big machines. I was like, what is going on here? I should call customer service and get my money back. But I don't want to be petty, ladies and gentlemen. Um, yeah, time tested. Chuck E. Cheese is trash now. Should have went to an indoor park. Might just still do that next weekend. And just like fucking take videos there and act like that was her birthday. Who's going to know? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Who is going to fucking know? I won't even know. In 30 years when I rewatch that footage of when my daughter was two. I'm like, oh my God, this is when she turned two. I could just delete the initial videos of that fucking trash ass Chuck E. Cheese. And just go to the indoor park and act like that was it. She was two years old in one week. Nobody's going to fucking know. I think I'm going to do that. Actually, I'm saying that right now. I'm inspired. I'm going to fucking do that. 
Um, I don't have anything else to talk about. So what we're going to do is we're going to go on Google. Don't you guys like when I do that? Don't you like it? Don't you like it? Basketball, basketball, basketball. Basketball, basketball. Basketball, basketball, basketball. Basketball, basketball. Wanted prostitutes sought for a man's death arrested. That is too much drama for me, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus Christ. Um, let's refresh it and see if anything. Jesus, man. All right. I don't want to. ESPN celebrates Leah Thomas as part of Women's History Month. Let's check this out. I think I know where this is going initially. Is Leah Thomas like was a man? I don't know. Nothing says let's celebrate women quite like forcing women to celebrate a man. Big shots. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to be completely biased. I'm going to be the news that you wish you motherfucking had. I'm not going to give no takes on this because I do have my own opinions, but I also have a daughter and I love women. And I also, broader than that, love people. And I don't want people to be hurt by my fucking opinions. You draw whatever conclusions you want. I'm going to read the goddamn news. As part of its Women's History Month campaign, ESPN ran a minute-long promo Sunday featuring Leah Thomas, a biological male who competed on the women's swim team at the University of Pennsylvania. The entire segment paints a picture of Thomas as a pioneer for transgender athletes in Division I sports. It praises Thomas' persistence and triumph through adversity. I said I wasn't going to give any comments, but I can't fucking help myself. If they have the Special Olympics, uh, no, um, <laughs> and it celebrates Thomas, Thomas's championship in the women's 500 freestyle the whole thing is downright nauseating but you can watch it here i'm not gonna fucking watch it i'm not gonna fucking watch it to patronize women as well under this outside of the fact that there's some guy with an incredible male physique that took some hormones and maybe went to the pickle chopping factory and now he's swimming in the same pool as women who have natural born vaginas the ads under this fucking story are about removing cellulite and fat women, it's officially spring break in Oklahoma, and it's fat women wrestling in the mud. They just, you know, this is this is very insensitive. It's very insensitive. What are your thoughts, ladies and gentlemen? I like to create a relationship where we can converse. I'm not over here trying to be the totalitarian leader of the Nothing Important podcast. I want to be somewhat democratic as I come up here and I spew my fucking brain on the masses, I want you guys to talk back at me. So for everybody who has hit me up, I appreciate you. Everybody else, take your hands out your pocket. Put your thumb on the screen. Type to old Maddie on the fucking Instagram and tell me what you think about this. Do you think it's wrong? Do you think it is wrong for a woman to compete, a woman at the top of her level in swimming, to compete against a man who is not the top in his gender class, after he has ingested hormones and maybe gone through a surgery. Do you think that is fair? What are your thoughts on that? I'll give you my opinion after I've just unbiasedly read you the news. My opinion is that sports don't matter. No, uh, I think it is patronizing. I think it is patronizing because um, I had an episode in the beginning of March March, the entirety of March is, it is Women's Celebration, Women's History Month. And I spoke about not putting women in the boxes that women have historically been put in. Meaning, it's not their contributions to housework. It is not their contributions to 
the maternal aspect of reality, mothering. It's not their uh, comforting qualities or their nurturing qualities that we should only examine. Those are things that are natural to the majority of women, but women are universally unique. Just because you have a set of organs that you're born with does not mean that your identity entirely comprises of that biological predisposition, right? Um, with that said, there is limitations on every human being. And when you group human beings, which is not an unhealthy thing to do, you don't want to identify a person and create an image in your brain. The totality of their character is their sex, their gender, their race. But it would be kind of fucking retarded if you did not acknowledge <laughs> if somebody was seven foot one and you said, that's a short man, you would be called clinically insane, right? So if somebody is has brown skin, they are melanated. This is just what it is. If somebody has a vagina, that is biologically a woman. It's just what it is. Once again, that is has nothing to do with somebody who chooses to do what they want for their body and identify how they want. When we get then in the realm of competition, when we get in the realm of competition, I think societally we have to think about the implications here. I believe sports as a whole, if this continues to happen, breaks down. Because then what is the line that is not crossed? How do we then categorize? Do we then allow people who, you know what I mean? Like uh, NBA players to go compete in high school games? You understand what I'm saying? Like, if LeBron wants to get some fucking rec time, he goes back to his old high school. He puts on the St. Vincent St. Mary's jersey and just violates, tears 11 fucking 16-year-olds ACLs. Do, do we allow that to fucking happen? You understand the point of what I'm saying? It's like the fabric of competition is in um, essence needing a foundation of categorizations. That's just how it happens. It's just how it happens. When you're a better player, you exist in a different altitude, so to speak. And when you're not as good, you still have to get to that altitude. And when you're not in that category, you know what I mean? Like, are we going to start hiring plumbers to cure cancer? Do we understand what's going on? <laughs> it's that same type of idea. It's the same type of fucking idea. It's like this foundation of sports and competition, this thing that we all love in whatever form or fashion you entertain yourself with it. Because sport is a broad idea. It's not just, I think sports, the spirit of sports is competition and in a humane, sophisticated way where there are rules in set. So it's not just people going on the court and murdering each other. You know what I'm saying? Because that could just determine the winner very, very fucking quickly. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that could determine winners extremely quickly. But if we're talking about sports, the thing that we all love in whatever form of fashion, whether it be like businessmen competing with each other, you know, they don't just go and brutalize each other physically. They play the game. They play the game. And same thing with like basketball on the court. Now we're just like, we're taking away the essence of the thing that we all love, sport, competition, by allowing somebody who obviously has all the physical advantages. Like, why don't we start because we don't like one team or one team does not make a lot of fucking money for the league, right? Why don't we just start 
taken the teams in the NBA that don't produce as much capital as the Lakers or whatever other marquee team, the Knicks, you know, whoever makes a lot of fucking money as a franchise, making a lot of money for the NBA. Why don't we just take those teams that make less and they can only play with three players? You understand what I'm saying? Like, that's that's what's going to happen. It's what's going to happen. It's not necessarily an argument about gender. It's not necessarily an argument about inclusivity. It's more about destroying the foundation of something that is already in operation and that works fine. If it ain't broke, why try to fix it? Why try to fix it? And then you get into the societal um, conversation more so of like, why is it that this transgender woman, all respect to this individual, feels the need to compete against people? Let's get this very clear. We do live in a time where, thank God, people can be free enough to do whatever they want to themselves. That is a good thing. If you want to take hormones, if you want to have surgery, you are free to do so. We're still working out the kinks. You know, there's a lot of people without the finances going down to foreign countries and that always ends up fucking bad, right? There's negatives in the situation. But from an idealistic standpoint, we're maturing and sophisticating ourselves as a society where we can be more tolerant to individuals who want to do whatever the fuck they want to do to themselves, not hurting anybody else, right? But why would that individual who's made those decisions that they're free to make then place that self-imposed gravity, their whole world and on other people who that's not their thing? You know, I wonder if every other woman, if any woman, that competed against this swimmer who is biologically a male, but is transitioned to be a transgender. I wonder if any of them have a say. You understand? And so that what does that become then? If the consensus shifts completely into somebody who could starts to identify as what another type of person has been always, it just takes the power away from women. I think women should decide. I feel like on a political level, too, you always hear these arguments between um, the polar binary opposites on the political scale, right? It's like conservatives versus liberals. And regardless of what you want to say, these are still on either side male dominated mentalities. I think if we're talking about women's rights or female inclusivity, the women should be able to decide. There should be leadership from women who decide, not men, because it's not a male issue. It's an issue that there are women who train the entirety of their lives and found their gift and their talent and have the capacity to be the top in that thing that we all love, competition, sport, with the rules that it's had. And now somebody comes along who is not biologically a woman And the consensus shifts all the way to that person's preferences and all the other people who have been women forever, who've always been considered women. They have no say in it. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts, ladies and gentlemen? I think the women should have the power. If we can come to an understanding that women, a woman's body is her choice. When a woman says no, then it means no. Or when it comes to anything a woman wants to do during pregnancy, I think, you know, and these are liberal consensus understandings, you know, her body, her choice. If we can come to those conclusions, 
you can't stray away from that same logic. You can't stray away from that. Women have to decide this issue. You know what I mean? So I gave my motherfucking opinion, and my opinion is, leave it up to the women. What the, I, I, there has to be some type of democratic you know, sense of operations. All the other women that are on the swim team get to vote. Do we allow this to happen or not? This is not a racial thing. We're talking about just pure f- women. Women. You know what I mean? You could parallel it with racism. You could you could think about it. On the other hand, um, do we live in a future where somebody can go and get a certain haircut and um, learn a language and then walk around and say that they're Puerto Rican? Right? Could somebody go and get pig, pigment, you know, injected into their eyeballs and melanin injections or tan their skin or get tattoos and walk around and say that they're black. Like, what is the line? What is the line? I don't know. Ladies and gentlemen, it's all opinionated. And that's why I'm going to motherfucking end the podcast. Anybody who's continue listening to the Nothing Important Podcast, I want to thank you sincerely. Continue listening. Do me a favor. Go onto my Instagram, like the post, like the reels. Until next time.